everyone. Welcome to our, our podcast. It's uh, Jack Brody here with uh, myself, Dave Smith, and we are so glad that you are tuning into us because we're going to try to share a lot of our experiences. And in this particular podcast, we're going to be talking about the things that we do that we know are successful. And we're going to be starting out just like we do with any lesson. How do we warm up correctly, effectively, and efficiently? So Jack, for those of you who don't know Jack Brody, he is the master of so many extremely effective ways to reach a player's potential. So Jack, jump in here and let's talk a little bit about your warm-up. I'll be talking about mine from a team perspective. Uh, as you can see behind me, I've got 55 girls on my team. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about all the ways that we both do the warm-up. So Jack, jump in here. Yeah, well, nice to see you as always, Dave. I really enjoy our talks, whether we're doing these uh, these podcasts or whether we're just, you know, BSing with one another. So um, I'm switching the effects behind me. This is one I've used a lot, and I know you use it as well. This is kind of what brought Dave and I together was the fact that, you know, I thought I was a lone cowboy out there doing some of the weird things, having people point at me for decades and Dave's been doing some of those same weird things and then we realized we we do them a lot of times for the same reasons a lot of times we have different you know viewpoints of, of why we do what we do the one going on behind me is probably the big one that I really that, that I think Dave and I really saw eye to eye on which is this two-handed warm-up on both sides I'll, uh, I'll move over so you can see it there but you see I'm hitting with a partner and what we do is we switch hands. So the backhand is always on top. So when you're hitting a righty forehand, the right hand's on top. And, uh, you know, and it's a two-handed backhand for the righties, the left hand is on top. And I think this is one of the best drills you can possibly do uh, for, I'll give you my reasons, and then we'll have Dave give you some of his. Number one, short court's great, but it can be a waste of time too, if you're just plunking the ball back and forth. By putting two hands on the racket, on the grip, what it does is it forces you to make contact in your wheelhouse, right? You can't be too early or you'll go drop it in the bottom of the net. And if you're late, you get handcuffed and you really can't perform a nice stroke. So, you know, I like to talk about that 45 degree angle. This mm -hmm. kind of forces you, the kid I'm hitting with now is kind of a beginner over there, but look how we can have a nice long rally with the beginner and it ties his hips and his arms together. It locks him in on his 45. It makes him move with somewhat ambidexterity, which is tantamount. You know, people that play tennis think it's a one-sided sport, but it's not. It's really a two-sided sport. So you really, uh, this, this drill is one of my absolute favorite drills. And I think it's quintessential. I, I think it's absolutely essential to do this drill for just three or four minutes before you go back to the baseline, lock in your hitting point and connect your hips to your arms. That's that's in a nutshell. That's really it. Yeah, I, I love it. As you can see, my daughter behind me when she was eight years old as a beginner, um, she hit with two hands on both sides. Uh, Monica Sella's version, Peng Shui, Marin Bartoli, uh, the, the, the keeping the right hand on the bottom. There's many. There's two, three different two-handed forehands, but regardless which version we're using, the thing I love about this, Jack, and, and, and I'm a huge proponent of it, and, and a, a good friend of mine, Walt Oden out of Minnesota, talked about right brain, left brain. 
and how much the left brain controls the right side of our body and, and the right side of our brain controls the left. Well, the thing about that is if you're only using one hand, you're integrating, let's say if you're right-handed, you're integrating the left side of your brain more predominantly, leaving out the right side of your brain. Now, when you go with both hands, you're integrating that crossover between both halves of the brain and a player who might be left brain dominant but you're only using your right or your uh, left arm, say, you're not using the left side of your brain as, as effectively. So one of the things that Walt talked about at a conference that we both spoke at was how critically valuable two-handed strokes are. He was talking about the two-handed backhand and he came up to me after I was sharing a lecture about the two-handed forehand. And he says, man, I, I totally blew it because I was only talking about the backhand and, and the forehand has the same application. But I like it, too, because a player can take that two-handed stroke. And what you said was very true, Jack. You can't just reach out and hit a, a forehand or, say, a backhand and dink it over. You have to move your feet and move that ball into your wheelhouse, as you said, or the strike zone, as I call it. Because two hands makes a player move to get into that position far better than a one-hander who can get away with – what I call bad form, really, and still make contact with the ball. Well, sure, you can face the net, right? With one hand, you can face the net. This yeah, you totally this lose your 45-degree angle. But yeah, absolutely. And you can yeah. see my daughter's open stance forehand. Her body is in your 45-degree. I'm looking and, at it. I'm looking yeah. at it. She's and really locked into the 45 right there. So this is something that is a great warm-up tool. Now, I'll, I'll take it one step back, though. We actually start all of our warm-ups with volleys. So I love going from volley to the to a two-handed mid-court stroke because one of the things that we see a lot of pros do is they teach ground strokes first. Well, that's a full swinging stro stroke in most cases. I mean, you can break it down, but it's still a, a low to high, usually a top spin forehand, top spin backhand. But now when you take that same child or even adult up to the net, what do they know? They know to swing. And now all of a sudden it's hard to go backwards, but it's very easy to start with. The, and from a training purposes, one of the things I did uh, a one year study with my daughter was I showed the, the progression and we actually start with a volley with a beanbag. And so we toss the beanbag and they catch it on their string. So rather than something hitting and making a ball go over, which changes yeah. the perspective of the player going, I'm trying to hit a ball over there they're not focused on the stroke or the contact, but catching a beanbag teaches them to receive. Yeah, I like that. To... I like that. No, I've never done that one. I've, I've done the lacrosse drill. Have you ever done the lacrosse drill? Oh, yeah, the, the catching drill. Yeah, yeah so for, we'll... the same, for the same reason, I think. And that's the next drill that we usually, we actually do a lot of catching or the lacrosse or highlight or whatever you want to call it. But the cool thing about the beanbag drill, first and foremost, is you can teach a little kid scoring, tiebreakers, forehand, backhand volleys because the receiving of catching a beanbag on your strings emphasizes an open racket versus a closed racket. It right. emphasizes giving with the ball rather than a, hitting a ball. And it really opens the door. And, and my daughter, who's not the greatest athlete in the world, easily trans gained a confidence of hitting the ball in the sweet spot because she knew to track a ball to the sweet spot through that process. The mini court or mini tennis 
movement with two hands, I think is a great transition from a toss and block or toss and catch drill with a beanbag. And the transition from the toss and catch drill for us, and I'll let you jump in here too, and I'll, I'll throw one picture up here, is what we call the toss and, and block drill. And if I can find my image of my toss and block drill, you'll see real quick um, a toss and block drill. So now we move to a toss and block drill from the toss and catch drill. So this is a great way. Especially, oh. I can do 100 players on one court, teach them the forehand volley, the backhand volley, the half volley, and even really ground strokes in a toss and block drill. I can have 100 players with 50 rackets, 50 balls. That's all I need. And you can have them hit thousands of balls in this scenario. It's not perfect. I mean, it's not round. No, no, I, I get it. I get it. You can really uh, get to a lot of people quickly and have them uh, understand contact. Right. So that's sort of, and, and you can do it anywhere. Uh, we do it uh, in a school gym. Uh, we'll do it uh, in a hallway. I think I've got a video here of our players transitioning taken. And if you look at this, let's see if I can find our kids hitting volleys here. Ooh, I don't know if I've got it. Um, I don't, well, this is my boys doing it. This is another drill where you hit two balls, you hit two balls and keep one ball going. So again, this was a rainy day practice. So you're hitting two shots between four people. You hit two in a row, then you keep that single uh, ball. Going. Yeah, that keeps it moving and it keeps it fun. Right. And you can see in the background, you can see I've got uh, 30 players all doing the same drill. Now, most of these are all JV players, so they're still learning to use better technique. You can see them blocking the ball. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, and, and nobody gets bored because you're only out for two hits. you got to be ready to go right back in. Nothing bothers me more, Jack, and this probably bothers you, but seeing a line of players hit one volley – Maybe oh, two going to the back of the line. I don't care if you throw ladders out there or have them go around a cone or whatever. Hey, get on a Brody board and swivel. That's fine. But it, but here you've got many drills that literally can uh, create a lot of the right kind of hitting, if you will. Um, and let me see if I've got this other one. Oh, here. I love it. I love it. You know, to be honest, Dave, I was mostly a private coach. Right. I never did high school, never did college. I would never put more than four on a court. I was really, a, a, even when I was in my early 20s, I, I was just like, that's BS. Never have more than four on a court ever. And I'm a big live ball guy. I really believe that it's better not to be fed balls. And if you are going to be fed balls, it should be by your partner. So you exchange. So I really like these drills. And I've never had to deal with it because, you know, with my guys, it was, you know, a couple hours private lesson, next, next, next. So uh, it was a little easier. I always wondered how you guys did this, but I'm getting a pretty good picture now. Well, obviously, a private lesson is the most efficient means of communicating to an individual. But when you're working with a team or a large group or sure. a academy or, or clinic or whatever, and I've had as many, I kid you not, Jack, I had 74 players come to my drop-in clinic um, and I had two courts and I had more people leave that clinic. In fact, this is, these are some of the pictures from that. Wow. Clinic. Wow. 74 people for a two hour clinic. And I had more people come to me and say, I learned more today 
in this clinic that I thought I would never learn because I thought, wow, I'm only going to hit four balls um, because of the way I know how to run a large group that they said they learned more than they learned in a, in a group of three, four, five, six on the court. And so, I mean, you know, there's obviously ways to maximize efficiency, but um, I try when I speak at conferences, um, we try very hard uh, to um, show in fact, uh, let's see if I've got it. Um, we try to show that there are ways to create learning, even if you're forced or in a high school situation or a school situation where you're where you've got a large group of players to literally train them all effectively. It's just, oh, listen, as tennis guys, we have to shuck and jive all the time. I okay. mean, you know, rainy days, this and that. I mean. I was lucky in SoCal. I always had a lot of, when I had 66 in a group, which happened uh, for several years, I had 11 courts. So all of a sudden, you know, all right, we're going to play bump, you know, we're going to play tag team doubles, singles, whatever. Uh, It was a big luxury, but uh, there has been many times when I've had eight or 10 kids on a court and I had to think quick, think on your feet. And that's when you come up with some of these great ideas, I bet. Right. So uh, let, let's let's continue on this warm up because you, you're you you've covered uh, this extremely valuable way. If you have not used two hands on both sides, try it. Um, I started doing it out of necessity. I guess they say necessity is the mother of invention. Yep. And um, I had a, a group of high school girls in Arizona when I was coaching 30 years ago there who couldn't hit a topspin forehand. They kept slicing the volley they, they no matter how low i started them they they would come up and then come down again yeah and so i i taught them with two hands to start with the racket on the ground and use their left hand if they're right-handed to pull the racket up and i noticed immediately how fast they created a what i call an advanced foundation forehand meaning a stroke that we associate with high performance players. And so I started teaching, this was before Monica Sellas um, was even a, a known item and no one was teaching a two-handed forehand. Uh, I sort of think of the two-handed forehand as like the two-handed backhand 40 years ago when nobody had a two-handed backhand except um, uh, Harold Solomon or uh, you know a couple no-name people. Right, well, you had, you had some back then. You had, well, Fru McMillan, didn't he play two hands on both sides? Well, Fru, no, Fru had that finger up the up the shaft yeah. of the racket. Yeah. Very bizarre grip, but not two hands that I can remember. But Harold Solomon was one of the first that I can remember. Of course, I'm dating myself because I would have been, a, uh, I was probably a teenager when Harold was, was on tour. But then, of course, Monica, well, uh, Monica, or not Monica, um, Jimmy Connors and Bjorn Borg were two-handers. And when Bjorn Borg won the French Open at 18 years of age, I even have a book that quotes one of the reporters said, well, that's great. You just won the French Open. When are you going to hit a backhand like the men do? And, and Bjorn Borg's like, I just won the French Open. I hit with two hands. I don't think I have to go to a one-handed backhand to prove myself. I never heard that comment. That's funny. That's funny. So, so then Connors came in and, of course, Chrissy Everett and, and, and Tracy Austin, and there were three or four now that pros were like, hmm, you know, it's not the woman stroke that, you know, everyone said, well, Jimmy Connors was taught by his grandmother to, to play with two hands. Well, didn't it worked well for him. Oh, yeah. And now look at the stroke today. I, I associate it with the the Fosbury flop of the high jump 
methodology. No, nobody went over backwards on a high jump until Dick Fosbury did it in uh, 67, 68, something like that. And it changed high jumping. Well, yeah, the two -handed, back, no. but, but back to our point, which is the two hands on both sides is such a great warm-up because of, of the things it forces you to do. It forces yeah. you to use your body. It forces you to line up. It forces you to take the ball at the contact point that's the most optimal. Absolutely. And that's that. And, 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 and in lining up, it forces you to look at the ball with that, you know, that, that nice peered view as opposed to facing the net like that. Right. So another one that we do, um, uh, we'll keep talking groundies and then we'll go, you know, to the one that we like, you call mini me, I call bump up and across. Yep. I really started finding that this drill helped my own game personally, because I never really had that that sweet contact, you know, where I really felt effortless on contact. And for me, it was always about, you want to learn something, slow it down. Hit softer, not harder. You know, so often kids try to hit harder, but if you want to feel something and learn something. So this drill here really turned into one of my favorites. And I call it the super short court. And what you do is you just get a couple feet away. Of course, it just ends there when I, <laughs> I want to show it. But you just get a couple of feet away from the net and it force and you just you have to really just bump the ball and feel with your body kind of moving a little like you're almost playing ping pong. How you know how the players move like this when they're playing. Yep. And, and this drill here, I really see how it gets you to really feel and you try to hit the top of the net and right. you can see that convex. I'm showing him that convex feeling. And right. I'll show you in a minute here what happens if you let the head of the racket see right there. Yep. If you yep. let the head fly forward, you can't control the ball. So to me, this is one of the best control drills is to get six feet apart. And you could probably do it without a net, I bet. And yep. you could probably, I'm, I'm guessing you use it with all your people since we have so much in common. I'm, I'm waiting to hear you say, I do this too. <laughs> but, uh, Anyway, what do you think about that one? Uh, for uh, Well, because uh, if you look at this picture, guess what these kids are doing? They're doing that exact drill, although uh, it's not the best picture because this girl's using kind of a, 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 the frying pan grip here. But we, we emphasize the continental grip so early and we do a lot of drills. So, for example, we'll, um, our, our, even before we do a lot of these drills, we do our up bounces and down bounces. So our down oh, Yeah, I love that. And our, and notice we kneel down. And the reason we kneel down is we want the racket to be fairly parallel with our forearm. If you stand up and do your down bounces, the player will drift over to an Eastern forehand frying pan grip. Right. And so that is what we're trying to avoid. And we can raise the level of this. And by the way, even when I worked with some of my world-class players on my high school, I had the number one player in the country on my high school team, number one player from Korea on my high school team. So even with them, we would do these. And this is a great drill because you can do it with every level player. We do 150 to 250 down bounces, continental grip. We lick the ground and put a dot on the ground. So now they're doing down bounces and trying to hit that dot with their down bounces. So now you can have these little subtle, you feel your racket more, um, because you're consciously trying to make it hit that little dot. And it's a great way. And then we actually go another step. We have them close their eyes and try to feel the racket doing the down bounces because now 
they're translating the field because they're not using their sight. So these kids will eventually will have them close their eyes. Eventually they get to the point where they can do 50 in a row without looking at the ball because now they're feeling the angle. They know how the ball is going to come up based on the angle of the racket. So down bounces, down bounces with a dot on the ground. I've always thought of make, inventing this and somebody's going to steal my idea. But I always wanted to put a, make a board with a little, uh, a little uh, sensor dot and every time they hit that dot, it would buzz or beep or bell or light up or count how many times they did it so that you, you could have a, yeah, yeah, a challenge of how many in a row or how many can you do in a minute. And yeah, feedback. Somebody feedback. Will do that. But that's a, another simple, simple drill to emphasize continental grip, a tool to help them master the continental grip, to understand where their racket head is relative to their hand, to work on aiming that dot on the ground. We lick, we just tell it, lick their finger, put a dot on the ground, it dries up pretty quick, but they see it. I get they, it, I get it. Or they stand on a line and use the line as their target and then to close their eyes. So again, simple drill taken to extreme, uh, more prolific methods to involve what I like what I like about what you're doing and I, I'm the same with the continental grip I really think too many people ignore it and oh, it, can you're really, right. it, it can really stagnate your growth because serve volleys overhead pickups some you get caught sometimes you think the ball's coming to your forehand off the serve comes to your backhand you got to be able to use any grip yeah. but the fact is once you can master the continental grip you know I do one I didn't I didn't um didn't know the conversation was going to go in this direction, but I do one with the continental grip where you, where you go like this, mm -hmm. I call it the figure eight drill and you bump the ball up and then you bump it up again and bump it up again. And that's a really good one uh, for the continental drip. I, I do some really difficult ones. You saw on Facebook, I posted them. So yeah, they're a little more difficult, but, but certainly that figure eight drill is something that everyone can do. I think. Well, as you're in the picture behind me, you're seeing kind of what they're doing, the up bounces. So now, now we're doing up bounces with the continental grip, with the elbow straight, focusing on the, the backhand volley technique that we want them to sure. master. We don't want that elbow bent on a backhand volley because typically they're going to hit from the elbow joint rather than the whole arm. Right. Yeah, you want a nice, you want a nice wing. Right. A nice wing. And, and so if you watch all the top pros, you don't see a bent elbow to they're not hitting from there they they hit from the full arm length so we we now this is a simple drill that can be taken to what you just talked about they can brush back and forth they can catch it we, we catch the ball on the strings right bump it up or we do the up bounces for 150 in a row you want to talk about strengthening the forearm getting comfortable with a straight arm and getting so that their body's relaxed but their arm has this kind of leverage that you're trying now you can take that to another level and we have them hit let's see if i can point i can't see and you're also helping them discover the sweet spot right and we actually have them hit 10 on the tip of their racket 10 in the center and 10 near the dampener and 10 back when they're doing their up so again intentionally making the racket interact with the ball even though we don't we're not yeah, yeah, yeah. hit off center but the intent is to control the racket to make it do what we want it to do that's interesting yeah no i, I haven't done that one but uh i did come up with a few like i said that catch cradle you saw on facebook yep, and then 
But yep. yeah, those are for more advanced players, but, and they emphasize other things, but I do love this idea, like I said, of ingraining that continental grip because just oh. not enough, not enough players can volley, not enough players can hit a decent second serve. Yeah, well, you'll see every one of our players with this form. Uh, they get a backhand volley. You'll see that leverage of the arm. I love not it. reaching way out in front of them, which is a, a big no-no because I know coaches say all the time, hit the ball out in front of you. Well, be careful what you're instructing them because top players don't hit the ball way out in front of them because there's nothing left to hit the ball if you're if you're of way course, out. Of course, and look at her back arm holding her lineup. Yep, her That's body very nice. retains the integrity of a sideways position. And, and every one of our players, even when they're not in great position, uh, I mean, here's a four high, higher forehand volley. Here's another girl hitting her backhand volley, a little rushed. Yeah, but, she's, a little, she's reaching a little bit, but you can but, see she's, she's sort of struggling. And that ball's dipping on her. You can right, see it. But you, you see the orientation that she is hitting the ball correctly, even though she's forced to hit the ball a little sooner than she would like. Right. Um, but that's, I mean, this is uh, one thing. Here's a, here's a good one of a girl hitting a shot. That's shark. a really, that's a really good one. So all of our players are trained to do this and it's no wonder all I've never had. A, um, I've had a state champion every single year in doubles every year, regardless, every single year I have the number one team in the state. And partly because we have a lot of good volleyers produced through our yeah, program. And, and because you're, you're reinforcing this continental grip, which I don't think enough, you know, so many kids, so many pros will let the kid, and I understand some of it, just gravitate to what's comfortable for the kid. Well, that's not what lessons are about. Sometimes you have to get out of your comfort zone. And if you have a Western grip and you're running around your backhand, the chances are you're not going to have much of a doubles game. Right. Uh, you know, and, uh, and, and, th and think about this, Jack, and you, you correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> The continental grip is used for what strokes? The serve, the overhead, volleys, the volleys, backhand slice. Sometimes a, a two-handed backhand. Well, two-handed backhand. If you look at uh, the picture here, where, where am I? Right yeah, here? she's got. She's got it. That's what I'm looking every, at. Every top, with the exception of Jim Courier, who had an eastern backhand, two-handed backhand grip on his dominant hand. All top players have a continental grip on their dominant. And nobody, nobody talked about Jim Courier's great backhand. No. Right? And, and, and I mean, that, that guy would run into the alley to avoid a backhand, and we all knew it. We yep. all knew it. Without that inside-out forehand, he's like Roddick without the serve, you know? Absolutely right. So, anyway, I, I emphasize it because, really, among top-level players, there's only one grip change. I mean, there's embellishments of everything, but – there's only one grip change. The top two forehand is either a strong Eastern forehand, semi-Western, full Western grip. That's yep. all acceptable among top players. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, uh, Agassi had probably more towards the Eastern forehand. Uh, Djokovic was semi-Western. You know, there, there, there's some variations. Yep. But among top backhanders, the two-handed backhand, the continental grip is the dominant hand. And the left hand, Ironically, we always say the backhand is a left-handed forehand for a righty. So the left hand should be an Eastern forehand to a semi-Western grip. So again, she shows it great in that picture behind you. She shows it great, not to mention, look at her back foot kicking back. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the, a very the, nice stroke. Very nice stroke. I can tell. Um, no, you're right. Uh, you want to, let's, you want to keep going and talk about warming up our volleys? Yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit more about warm up. I mean, I mean, if you want to, well, you know, the only we, thing, the only thing we didn't talk about was, and I'm sure you do this too. 
I have my players play left-handed short court. So, yes. and I like, I'll give them the choice too. After like a year or two, we work, you know, cause I never, every lesson is the same short court. I go, your choice. You want to go two hands today or you want to go left hand today, opposite hand. So I give them, so, you know, I like to give them a little bit of a choice out there. So I'm big on opposite hand playing in the warm up too. Do you do that as well? Yes. In fact, I forgot to mention our down bounces that we, I, I showed you earlier. We actually do that left-handed choking up with an Eastern forehand grip because the two-handed backhand is basically using that left hand in that orientation. So we actually do our down bounce. You want to watch kids and even adults who look kind of ortho at first try doing down bounces with their left hand. But after they start doing it, their left hand starts to become more relaxed and they start understanding the feel. And that translates to understanding the two-handed backhand of what the left hand's role is, if you will. So yes, the two-hand, using that left hand, if you're teaching two-handed strokes, whether you're hitting the two-handed forehand, most players are hitting the two-handed backhand, but even just the orientation of getting that left side of your body engage is important i agree plus getting out of your comfort zone it makes you intellectualize a little more right and Absolutely. so i gotta tell you when i play lefty short court i prefer my form with my left hand short court better than my right because it has no preconceived you know ingrained habits uh you know idiosyncrasies my left hand, I just, you know, probably because of the Brody, the board I use all the time, right? You get into this, I started throwing righty and I go, well, you know, I can throw lefty and I started serving lefty. But for me, it's more about intellectualizing the stroke and going, okay, I'll do everything right. And I'll do everything right on this side. And I swear after all these years, I prefer in the short court, my left-handed stroke to my right-handed stroke. Interesting. Which is really interesting. Yeah. Well, but, uh, yeah, that's all I wanted to make sure we brought up was playing uh, with the opposite hand. If, if you pros out there and coaches are not really focusing on the, the diversi diversification, I'll call it, uh, even, even in a warm-up, uh, we do Zumba as a warm-up, which has nothing to do with hitting, but has everything to do with exactly. balance. Uh, we do it to music. Um, these are just a few of my girls here. This is half my team. Um, and you can see them working on different oh, movements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering what the heck. That's Zumba, huh? That's Zumba, which is an aerobic to music. It's like anything else. But uh, back in the 80s or 90s or something, I remember. It was big then. It's still big now. All the all the um, gym classes that, uh, you know, where your fitness facilities are using some sort of music with movement stretching yoga even we, we 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 actually do a lot of that but um anything else on your end as far as your warm-up goes that you well let me ask you i just had a podcast earlier today with one of my certified pros really really fantastic guy he, he coaches a couple of really top players in the nation and um we both agreed on another thing that we like the kids to learn now i wouldn't call it warm-up but just on an aside, we teach him how to juggle. I thought I was the only one who did that. Yep. Now, my friend Javier, he says, oh, no, I teach all my kids to juggle with three balls. I go, me too. I said, it's good for ambidexterity, for right-left brain coordination. And, and just it's challenging and it's thoughtful, kind of like a good tennis player should be somewhat thoughtful. Do you do, do you do juggling as well? We, I'll, I'll take it another step, Jack. All right. I knew you would. We do teach juggling. I do teach a three ball juggling. We teach behind the back shots and we teach tweeners. 
Yeah, I actually, those are in my school. On my website, I teach both of those as well. Because the, again, like you've heard me talk about different things that are different or, or, or make you aware of your racket, a behind the back shot or a tweener, um, it, it, we don't spend a lot of time, but we do teach those the juggling tweener behind the back shots because again, kids get a kick out of it, especially kids. Oh, I never knew I could do that. Right. Oh. Uh, and and then their orientation, their racket, their it, 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 again. If you can't make tennis teaching fun, you shouldn't be teaching tennis. And if you can't teach advanced foundations fun, you really shouldn't be teaching tennis. If you if if you're teaching inferior, if I, oh, I got I got to show you this picture because I, I took it from somewhere. What about the saber? What about the saber? I teach the saber. Do you teach the saber? I don't teach the saber. What describe that part? I wish I had the video pulled up. It's in my school, actually. Uh, basically, it, it just teaches you that it's. Uh, I still do it with big servers, uh, not as well maybe as I used to, but I still do it pretty well. It teaches you a to keep you to line up the forty-five, yep. and b to keep your arm in this wing you know, in this wing, as opposed to straightening it or bending it. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you just stay at the 45 and walk and, and you just hold your arm in that, in that nice round wing, the saber is simple. It's really simple. And, and everyone loves doing it once in a while. Yeah. Like you say, you got, and I even teach the one footed strokes, like the two handed backhand. I teach them to pick up the back foot because like you say, it's fun and, and, and kids really enjoy it. But more than that, it, most of these things that the pros do, like picking up the back foot, they reinforce good habits. It's not, it might be showing off for them, but they feel something. They feel the wave. They feel things that, that, that beginners don't feel. And so it actually, that one-footed backhand really reinforces a lot of good habits. Um, almost well, like, add, a two -handed, like a two-handed stroke. Well, the, the one-footed drills, um, a number of years ago, in fact, if you read my book, I talk a lot about serving on the on left-footed serve, right-footed backhands. I did read that. One-footed forehands. And, and I found out my, my assistant, Scott Adams, who is a pro out of Houston, but he used to live here, and he worked taught with me for a, about a year. Great guy. He taught uh, Helena Yankovic, and he uh, also taught Bethany Maddox-Sands. Um, and very prolific pro, great guy, but he tore his leg up on an ATV accident. So he was on crutches. His right leg was just, just it took all the skin off the whole leg, his whole leg. So he was demonstrating to my group, we were doing a three ball across drill, just a standard drill. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Drill. And he was hopping on his left leg. And I just kiddingly told all my kids, do the same thing, hop on your left leg, hit, hold your finish, hop, hit, Hold your finish, hop, hit, hold your finish. And by sheer uh, observation, every kid hit more balance, hit a cleaner ball in most cases, and learned to adjust to the ball quicker because they didn't have the luxury of two feet. Right. And so we started having them serve on their left foot if they're right-handed. And we found, and I don't know if, you have, if you've done this, but we found, we actually got the radar gun out, and we found the players were hitting harder serves more, uh, more efficiently because they had to serve balance when they were serving on their left foot. They didn't have the luxury of bleeding on their right side or falling back on their right side. So if you haven't done this, we, we do this as a drill. 
where everyone has to serve 20 serves with their on their left foot on their due side and their ad side or right yeah, foot at their left hand. I've never done that. Ironically, every kid discovers they serve better initially because they're they have to be balanced. So they're serving from a balanced platform, if you will, and they start discovering they because of the limitations of one footed, they actually they're not polluting their stroke. So all I can say is try it. It's it's a fabulous way to, to try yeah. um, the one-footed drills on every shot, volleys, yeah. round strokes, serves, and even overheads. Have them try that. I definitely do it on both um, on both uh, the groundies, forehand Good. and backhand. I haven't hit. I like that one. Um, yeah. You want to move on and talk about how we warm up volleys because I know that's your expertise. Um, I, I have my own. Let's, yeah, I, I've got four or five volley drills. Let's, let's talk about yours. Let's, let's go ahead and jump well, in first. The one is behind me. This has been my favorite one for a long time for pretty much this exact same reason as two hands on both sides, um, which is it forces you to take the ball at the proper contact point. I mean, if you take the ball early, the ball is going to go into the net. But if you're right at the 45, you can bump the ball straight up yep. very easily. You see that? Yep. And well, we're getting fancy now, but you see yep. it bumps up very nicely and you can control this forever. And if you're early, the ball goes either in the net or it goes in front of you. And if you're late, it goes behind you. And I'll show you in a minute here doing it with a little 12 year old girl. She ended up being a good player. She played for uh, Cornell, I think. Yep. But this is when she was younger and you'll see she did it wrong a couple of times and I kept it in there so people could see. Uh, exactly what it is but this is one of my favorite drills you call it mini me well i call it mini me only because greg Patton introduced it many years ago to me and and at a conference actually i think he presented it and he called it mini me and it's just where you bump it up to yourself and then bump it over and they and you keep it going and i like it because it again thinks outside the box a little bit but go ahead yeah Talk about your presentation. Well, let's look at, and I, I decided, because I, I used to show people only the right way. It's good to show people the wrong way, because if you do it, you know. What to avoid. More people, more people are going to do it the wrong way, so you might as well try to help them. See, she did it perfect there, right? At the 45, it bounces straight up. Yep. But uh, on this next one, if she'll move a little quicker, there we go. I guess I must be saying something the wrong way here. Now you see. <laughs> so this is just from one of, one of my videos in the school. That's the reason we're waiting. But see, that's a little late. So she's right. doing too much. Yep. Right? She, 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 see, she's not locating the 45. So now she's handcuffed. And it's very difficult to control. She's off balance because she's behind the 45. And if she takes it too early, see, now she's way in front of the 45. Yep. The ball's going to go straight ahead. And that's why I like this drill because it's just like the, see that? It's yeah. just like the two-hander on both sides. It forces you to find the optimal, I like to call it the optimal contact point. And then, you know, if you do this in the warm-up, God forbid, hopefully you, you hit more in the optimal contact point when you play. Absolutely. It's a great drill. We do it every, especially my large groups. When I, like yesterday, I had Super Saturday, I had 30 plus players and um, it's a great drill. You can do you can do this drill 
with six on each side of the court. So you can have 12 players on, on one court. I've do done it with eight. I've done it with eight, but I guess you could do it with more if they can. Well, and, and here's an interesting thing. Some people, I've had coaches actually ask me, why do you, why do you put so many on a court? You know, why do you spread them out? Well, number one, half the time I've got so many kids, I have no choice. Number two, I like it because when you squeeze the corridor, your players don't have the luxury of just swinging. They have to be conscientious of their target lines much more than if they have the whole half of a court or whatever. Remember, remember when we were kids, how our coach would make us hit down the alley? Oh, yeah. Use the alley as your target. Absolutely. So it has that that principle. So that we call, I call it mini me, you call it bump up, bump up and across and across <laughs> because it's more descriptive for sure. I like to, I like bump up and across because it's self-explanatory. Yeah. Kind of, kind of. Yep. yep. But now that's, that's probably my favorite volley drill. I, I, we do some difficult ones. We do the clacker drill. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. Not sure. The clacker um, drill. Describe that. You know, before. when we get into more high level uh, in one of our podcasts, I will make sure I have that loaded. But basically, I volley. My partner volleys forehand to forehand, and we get closer. Oh, okay. yeah, cap and capture the ball. And you you squash the ball between. Yeah, the we two call it capture. Yeah, we okay. call it that's, capture. that's a great drill. So that's another volley drill. But I wouldn't necessarily call that my warm up drill. This truly uh, yeah. bump up. This is a warm up drill, and then sometimes we'll do the lacrosse lacrosse drill. Uh, just to sort of relate to the ball, it's a nice way to relate to the ball. Um, where you catch it and then hit it over. Is that? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But so we, we do, we do all of those. Ironically, Jack, you and I have, have never real. I mean, we've met a long time ago, but, but it's so funny how we both do. We've recognized things that equate to players becoming highly skilled. Yeah. And so there's a couple other drills that I'll throw out there. Maybe you've done these as well. One is called let it drop, but don't let it bounce. And this is where you get very close to the net. You, you angle the racket so you're hitting the ball vertically up and down over the net rather than horizontal. This no, I like that drill. I've never done that. Yeah, so they don't let it bounce, but they try to – they get their knees way down and get the racket parallel to the net. They cannot – you cannot point the racket – I don't know if you can see me. You can't point the racket at the net because you'll never get it up and over close to the net. You I understand. To. You really need your continental grip. Right. And so you can see this girl hitting this back and volley. Her racket's parallel to the net and she can angle it. She can drop volley. She can volley lob it. Uh, she can slice it deep. She can do anything from this position. And that is a great drill. Again, I can have 12 on a court hitting, let it drop, but don't let it bounce drill. Uh -huh. I teaches that aspect of, of or racket orientation, touch, uh, making a vertical stroke rather than always a horizontal stroke, which obviously we use that on a lot of volleys, but we, we need to train the angle. In fact, ironically, the first volley skill we teach all beginners is a sharp angle volley, always. Because we want players to learn to get out of the one-dimensional hit it straight ahead mentality right from the get-go. So we actually train the angle volley, what you see this young lady hitting here, um, starting to hit that sharp angle low volley, because a player at the net, it has a low volley. Well, what are their options? They can drop volley it, they can volley it deep, or they get in an angle volley winner. Um, right. and, and more importantly, they start to discover they don't have to hit every ball hard. 
for a ball to be hit effectively. Well, it's certainly so, great for training for doubles, especially. Oh, uh, yeah, and, and especially doubles. So and we do a lot, and we'll, on future podcasts, I'll talk about my super secret doubles drills that I use, why my doubles players are so good at poaching, so good at anticipating that uh, we do a series of drills that I'll show some uh, in a bit. But one last drill is a badminton drill that uh, I, I grew up playing with the top badminton players in the country, or my my PE teacher in high school was our Olympic badminton coach, uh, Vicky Touts, our first Olympic badminton coach. My dad actually uh, was national badminton champion back when he was in the Navy. So I grew up in, with badminton. And we do a drill in badminton called drop, drop, clear, clear, where the two players hit a drop shot, drop shot, then a little mini lob as a clear, then the, he hits a clear, and then he hits a drop shot off that drop. And there is so much movement. You know, yeah. You're not trying to hit a big lob. It's just, it's just dynamically changing from a drop shot to a little lob to a drop shot. And so it's drop, drop, clear, clear. Sort of like your bump up and over. Yeah. Drop, drop, clear, clear is exactly what it is. You drop shot, they drop shot. You hit a little clear, I get they it. hit clear. And I get you it. It's a, nice, it's a nice pattern. It is a great pattern. You can do it again with... I we don't do it with 12 on a court. We'll do that with eight on a court, four and four. You can do it with five and five, 10 players, but it because the lobs get a little bit wilder uh in terms of controlling too. You get it. Yeah, I can player. see that, right. But it's not a high deep lob, it's just a bump over their head, but not so they have to run way back and get it. So it's just a lob to the service line. But it, you see a lot of movement. So drop, drop, clear, clear. Mini me, which you call bump up, bump up and over. Um, let it drop, but don't let it bounce. Uh, these are all my warm up volley drills because, again, you talk about. I've never. I've taught thirty five hundred players. Guess how many tennis elbows I've had? Zero. I hear you. Not, not one. I hear you. It's such. A, it's so important too because I'm the same. My my players, you know, they'll twist an ankle, but they won't. They won't hurt their arm or their elbow because oh, and if you warm you up correctly, yeah. Right. If you hit a ball right, you absorb the shock with your entire body rather than one spot, right? So you should absorb the contact with your entire body pretty equally. Right. If you're doing it right. Um, and those progressions, like I talked about earlier about the beanbag tossing and catching versus hitting. I love that. Learning, learning that technique because I demonstrate holding a rack with two fingers. And I'll have my opponent or my partner or my assistant coach or whoever's working with me drill a ground stroke at me at, you know, 60, 70 miles an hour. And I'll volley that with two fingers to show that, number one, and I'll volley a, a clean, perfect, you know, really crisp volley with two fingers to oh, yeah. demonstrate, you know, I don't have a lot of strength in these two fingers. Right. And the racket does the work. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the no, study. No, no, I like that. I do that on almost everything. I do it with serves. Serves, yep. Exactly. Yep. Backhands, forehands. And show players, look, let the racket do some of the work. And, and plus, if you hold it with two fingers, sometimes the racket moves more naturally than it does when you manhandle it. Right, right. And there was a study, I don't know if you've seen the study, that they hung a racket by a string and they shot a ball at 50 miles an hour at the center point of the racket and measured how far it rebounded. And then they bolted a racket to a, to a stationary pole, fired the same 50 mile an hour, and they measured, and they found that the reflective angle off both the bolted racket and the racket hanging by a string was identical. 
No kidding. All rebounds exactly the same amount because you, people think, oh, wow, the, the one on the string's not going to rebound because the racket's going to, you know, go. But you got to remember, a ball rebounds off the string bed before the racket rebounds. From that's the, right. Well, no, I've never. That's a very interesting. Um, that's yeah. interesting. And, once, and so when you show that, you know, uh, serving with one finger or just volleying with just a reflecting, reflecting the ball, like I use an analogy that I love. And I've used it more recently. And that is, imagine your racket is a mirror and the incoming ball is a beam of light. Would you swing at a beam of light to reflect it somewhere? Or would you put the mirror behind the beam of light and angle the racket or the mirror to make the ball go there? And everybody knows, oh, I'd, I'd put the mirror behind the beam of light. I wouldn't swing at it. Think of your volley like that. Yeah, I love amazing that. Amazing how good your volley can get. Yeah, so of course we swing. One day, one day you and I, Dave, will get into technique. And we finally may bump heads a little bit. I sure hope so. This is just too gentle, too easy. You know, we don't want to, <laughs> we don't want to bore people. We got to, we have to have, doesn't there have to be a villain somewhere? Well, we but, don't have uh, to reinvent the wheel though, either. We both have found what works. <laughs> yeah, the only, the only other drill I can think of while we're talking, because you're coming up with all the good ones here is uh, is I do one more, but once again, I wouldn't do this with a, a bunch of players. I do this with my private lessons. We do quick volleys. Of course, everyone does quick volleys. Mm. But we add one more thing. We add the lob volley, and then the overhead, you hit right at the guy, not as hard as you can, but sure. three-quarter, you know you know the best, three-quarters pace. Yep. Yep. And oh, so we do that, and I, I, I have videos of this as well, but I didn't prepare Um, we volley quick volley and after about maybe 10 volleys one of us will just bump the nice angle lob the other guy hits it to him so you get practice in your quickness you get practice in your feel right your lob volley and changing the angle of the face and you get practice with your overheads so that's that's one more we do but i don't think we could do that with eight on a court that would get dangerous Um, yeah no there are certain drills that uh, obviously have different parameters of safety and, and, and coaches need to be, make sure they still focus on things that are not going to create a liability or a, or a, a potential pe- people getting hit in the face or the eye or, or, or something like that. Um, that's right. I, I agree. I that's agree. Right. But that's, that's the only other warm up. And then I, I didn't really think much about it because when I think of warm up, I think mostly groundies, but the Serbs could almost have their own whole lecture on uh, how to warm up your serve. Oh, but, yeah. um, yep. In general, you know, I don't know what you prescribe, but basically for my students, start really easy, hit deep. I always tell them to hit deep because it's easier to bring the ball back into the service line than it is to hit in the net. Now you got two problems. You got to get over the net and in the box. It's better to go three feet deep. This is my opinion. Plus it loosens you up if you hit easy, but deep. You sort of stretch your arm out a little more and you're trying to go deep and you're not trying to overhit. You're trying to hit deep. And then, like I said, I think it's easier to go, okay, now I'll bring it in a little bit, in a little bit, as opposed to slugging it and going in the net. So other than that, I mean, there's lots of service drills, but I mean, as far as warm up, that's my biggest thing with the kid, with my players is don't try to crack the first ball, you know, just go soft and deep and a little bit of spin and or even flat, but just, you know, feel loosen up your rotator cuff, you know, find your balance, right? Always balance the ball, find your balance point uh, between the front and the back and, and then 
serve easy and then right. work your way in. I always tell them kids, you shouldn't be serving big until at least your third time at bat, right? <laughs> I mean, at, at zero, zero, at two, one, you shouldn't be serving big. You don't serve big till at least the middle of the first set, at least well, the middle. I, well, I, and I, I, I emphasize one thing that's probably a little different than you. We emphasize spin from the very get-go. Our beginners all learn a slice serve first because we all know a second serve uh, is it defines a player's ability. If you don't have a second serve, uh, I'm you're sorry. Right. I, I tell my kid, yep, you're only as good as your second serve. Right. So I can, I can look at a player and look at their back and volley and their second serve and tell what level they'll achieve and, and what level they'll stagnate I'm, at. I'm still, I'm on the same page there. I know you are. I think, I think serving flat is for dummies. I tell oh, the kid, cool. I no, say, you know what? It's just moronic because well, there's it, no such thing as a flat serve. Even there is no such players. thing. As, yeah. When Sam I mean, hit his big flat serve, it wasn't flat. It rotated so much. Well, John Yandel did a great study on uh, when he was with me at tennis1.com. Uh, and we discovered he, was, uh, he, he did a, a video series of filming the top Sampras, Roddick, Todd Martin, Rosetsky, a number of pros. And they found that the average ball rotation on a first serve at 130 plus miles an hour was Sampras had the highest uh, ball rotation of 2,800, 2,800 RPMs on his first serve. Yep. I Rosetsky had the least at, at about 1,500. Well, who had a higher first serve percentage? Well, Sampras did. Sampras did. <laughs> By yeah. far. And I he had a higher margin of error. I think every serve has to have spin. There is Absolutely. no such, I agree with you. There is no such thing as a flat serve if you want to be a player. Yep. Yep. And, and besides, and besides, even if you hit your flat serve at 120, it's coming straight and it, you actually make the other guy look good. You make yeah. the other guy look good. Good players love it. Good players love it. And they, they I mean, a kick, we teach kick serves, slice serves, hybrid serves. And then the only difference is if we want speed is we toss the ball more forward and get them to lean in. You're 45 again, lean in and still brush the ball. But because they're now leaning in, their racket's coming forward to add the spin. So they're going to get velocity with their same spin. So really, there's no difference between a first serve and a second serve other than how far they lean in as far as our players go. You will not see our second serves hit any different. In fact, we tell our players, you better hit your second serve just as fast, not as flat, because we're not leaning in. Right. So I, I always quiz my players with this question. What makes a ball drop faster, more spin or less spin? More spin. Right. What makes more spin, a slow racket or a fast racket? Fast racket. So then why are you dinking your second serve if you want a ball that has more ball rotation and drops into the court? Of course, you actually, my doubles partner in college, Billy, would always tell me that my second serve was way more dangerous than my first because I didn't want a double fault. So I would hold the big, almost a backhand grip. Oh, yeah, and, big open. and I would swing as high and as hard as I could. And it had so much crap on it that it, it really was. I mean, he always said, he said, just serve two second serves, Jack. He says, your first serve is no big deal. Your second <laughs> serve's dangerous. He's right. And um, the only thing I will say about the serve, and, and we're leaving our topic a little bit, is that I think the slice serve is underutilized by, uh, I mean, so many kids hit a big first serve and then the big kicks second serve 
which all you got to do if you're a good player is climb on top of it. But um, I think the slice serve is really one of the most dangerous serves there is, not, not only pulling someone wide, but the opposite. When you serve into their body on a backhand and it's sliced, well, now they're going to hit the throat of their racket a lot. And it's much tougher to get away from that slice when it's hit at the body. So I really feel um, going into a new subject, I really feel the slice serve really should be utilized so much more. And it's easier on your arm, too. Oh, totally. And it feels like a knife through butter. I mean, the, the, the idea of, of and this still fits our narrative of warm up because we teach a big slice serve here. This is one of my JV girls hitting more of a kick kind of serve in slow motion you're seeing, but you're seeing her body position. You're seeing the racket going from left to right across the inside edge and reaching back and getting a, a big kick. And you'll see where the serve goes. It's a, it's a pretty big kick serve. And, um, you know, this is just a JV player hitting a say pretty good JV player. Yeah. Well, I mean, my JV will be most every team's varsity every, uh, in our state. I mean, uh, not, I'm not, well, I'm in Utah. I'm not in California anymore. So, I mean, these, these are kids that are developing. She actually, this was when she was JV, her, uh, junior and senior year, she was number one doubles, they won state. So you can probably see why, I mean, she had a, a foundation that's, uh, from the very get-go of a, of a very good service motion. So, you know, we, we emphasize spin both as a warm-up and as our main serve. And then we emphasize the speed of that by throwing, leaning in over our left shoulder if our right, if I'm a right-handed server to get right, speed. Right, right. You can see the orientation of the racket coming up across that ball and really accelerating across. Unfortunately, the rack, the, the video speeded it up, but here's our Here's a slow motion of the racket going across that ball. I see. Yeah. What we call the dirty diaper where the racket gets ahead of the hand. Most girls and, and a lot of men and boys too try to swing with their arm coming forward linear rather than keeping the arm up and getting into that dirty diaper position, what we call the dirty diaper, meaning the racket head is hanging in front of us like we're holding a dirty diaper away from our nose. Right, 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 I see. And so we, we train that very articulately. We actually use the phrase dirty diaper to get them to realize the racket's gotta get ahead of the arm if, if I'm gonna accelerate the racket on the last chain of the kinetic chain. So you can see the, oh, the, yeah. arm, the yeah. arm will slow down, allowing the racket to get ahead of the, the, the uh, the arm. If, you, if the arm pulls through, then the racket can only go at the speed of the arm, and you can see how fast that racket gets ahead of the arm. And, the, and, and though she is connected nicely to her core, I still believe that if you use your wrist correctly, it can be very useful on a lot of shots. Serve. Yeah, and... I mean, if it's not a flexation, it's an internal rotation of the forearm, of course, and, and that is the part it's, it's not a, um, we don't wave bye-bye. Right, right, so right. We, we, we actually, the wrist and the arm come across in this, in this orientation. We don't swing waiter grip to bye-bye. Right, that's, right, right. That's beginner. That's one-on-one beginner. And, and anybody who teaches to serve that way should be shot. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, no, listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's a lot of... Uh... There's a lot of poor teaching out there. I mean, everyone's trying their best, but but uh, uh, a lot of them just kind of. That's why we're doing what we're doing, right? I right, mean, right, exactly right. We we're, we're trying to educate people that if you teach mediocrity, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get mediocrity. If you teach advanced technique, yes, it, it, the equivalent that you and I have talked about in the past is 
Do we teach a piano player to play with their two index fingers? It's right. easy. I can play twinkle, twinkle, little star and chopsticks. <laughs> Am I ever going to play the piano effectively or, or even enjoyably? No. 20 years later, I'm still going to be doing this unless I'm trained to do this. And so tennis is like that. We can train people to bunt the ball over the net. We can train people to push the ball, deep well, the ball. You're, just, the ball. You're, you're training them to be a beginner forever. I call it, you're training them to get good at being bad. Yeah, that's a good, that's well put. And so, hey, how do we, how do we combine our names here? Because I, <laughs> I think, I really believe in the, in the core fundamentals, but I do like advanced foundation. I like the idea of a, of a foundation, number one. But in advance, I guess it's just the core fundamentals of the advanced foundation. <laughs> I, I like it. Uh, we'll call it the Javen, <laughs> Jack and David. Uh, but uh, you know, yeah. You're, well, you're a soul. You're a soul man. Well, well, yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll talk more. Let's, yes, let's, sir. Our our next podcast, we'll talk a little bit about effectively training um, players to take going from the warm up, advanced foundation of the warm up. Remember everything. Jack and I have talked about today is talking about ways that increase a player's potential by using technique that will effectively advance that player to higher and higher skilled play without changing. Notice without changing the technique, a lot of players or a lot of coaches, I'll hear them say, well, we'll teach them this now, but later we're going to change them. I, have I, I hear that a lot too. It's silly. I hear I have 117 books on tennis and almost without a doubt, almost all of them say the beginner can do this, but the advanced player does this. And I'm like, I don't know of another sport that trains. Oh, listen, I've made comments before on Facebook. I'm like, well, how come you don't mention the hips? Well, I do mention the hips with better players. I'm like, well, you don't need to with better players. <laughs> you right. need to That's with right. crappy players. Right. So anyway, you'll see a lot of videos. These are a lot of all my beginners here are hitting their ground strokes. These are kids that have been playing for less than three or four months. And, and so, we're, you know, the, what we're talking about here is, and you can, we can find a lot of things wrong with these players because they're just now starting to develop these patterns that take a while to master all the key elements. But you're seeing, um, you know, players hitting with your, a lot of your technique, even, you know, the I'm forward watching, five, the back leg. Yeah. Everything. I'm thinking to myself, you know what? This little ball drop drill they're doing here, I can, see, I, can, I can see the player getting connected each ball. Well, this is our warm-up. This is our warm-up after we've done volley. So this is just a standard. Uh, they hit 20 balls, then rotate. And they're hitting 24 hands, 20 backhands, and rotating. And you can see our, what's great about these, pro, these drills here. We don't have to stop the drill for everybody if I want to talk to one player. Right. And so I can keep everybody working. These are all JV players, by the way. Every one of these girls you see are just junior varsity, number 20, 22, 24, 28 on my JV team, a lot of freshmen here. Um, and so what you're seeing is just they're starting to get the feel of brushing up for a top spin, keeping the back toe down, keeping the 45, as you've talked about, holding their finish. And we can talk well, to what them. I see. What I see, everyone is looks like they're all as they drop more and more balls. Everyone's connected to, from their hips to their arms, which looks yeah. really good. So I think it fits your narrative very well. It does. It I does. wish I had. I wish I had twenty eight boards or your or the Brody boards because um, it it you can kind of see them using 
the pivot move, and then keeping the foot back. And you can see them dragging their back toe, which is what we teach. We don't want that back leg swinging around, losing the integrity of their hips. Well, it's and only so, about 3000 bucks. Come on, man. You can pay that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to raise some more money. That's, uh, that's my next uh, move. But I definitely want it. Because uh, your it, wife it, could get uh, a your wife get a job, you know. <laughs> uh, you know what? She's my my wife's a doctor and she's the breadwinner, so maybe I'll just ask her for a loan. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's great. Hey, well, Dave, let's, let's let's close this one down for today, folks. Yeah. I hope you enjoy listening to what Jack and I have been discussing and sharing with you, and hope you'll take it out of the court and and <laughs> use it. Try it. Try it many times and watch the effectiveness of your students improvement oh yeah i absolutely i i i second that you absolutely even if you just do a couple of those drills you'll see a big difference immediately yeah and all right your players i love you for it have, okay. and we did that we, we filmed this on easter so if you're watching live happy easter if you're watching this it's a it's a wonderful day to play tennis any day whether you're inside or out uh, enjoy these videos that we're putting out there. Hope you're gaining some information. Dave, we'll see you soon. Talk to you later. Mm -hmm.